Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast, a special podcast series led by registered dietitian and nutritionist Lisa Jones. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions or consultant 360. Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast where we communicate the information you need to know now about the science, psychology, and strategies behind the practice of dietetics. Today's episode is the challenges of food safety. Today, my guest is Brittany Saunier and Susan Adams. Brittany is the executive director of the Partnership for Food Safety Education. She has a master's in public administration and has been sharing the importance of handling foods safely through the partnership since 2011. Susan Adams is a registered dietitian that consults with assistant living accounts and an educator at LaSalle University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She specializes in educating the next generation of nutrition professionals. She believes that food and nutrition heals others and enjoys helping the next generation and the greatest generation. Welcome, Brittany and Susan. Hi, thank, thank you. you. Well, thank you for being here. Nice so to be let's here. start with you, Brittany. If you want to tell me a little bit more about your background. Yes, you know, it's really important. It's about food safety, of course. So I came across a really sad story, a young boy who lost his life due to food poisoning. And at that time, I was preparing for graduate school. I was convinced I was going to go into a whole different field at that time. And I, I heard a story and it just hit me that, um, you know, something so simple that we all need to do every day, eat, right, could have some devastating impacts. And I then decided I wanted to pursue a master's in public administration with a health focus so I can work in the food safety space and help prevent illnesses. And it seems to be where I was supposed to be because all the stars aligned and I secured an internship with the Partnership for Food Safety Education in 2011 during my grad program and been with the partnership ever since. And it's been a great pleasure. Oh, wow. It's definitely like to hear the stories of like how we get started and what we do and how passionate you are. I'm, I'm so excited to have you here with us today. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And Susan, how about you? Can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Oh, I would be happy to. I've been a registered dietitian, it seems like, my whole life. Um, I wanted to be a registered dietitian because I love food. My mother was a fabulous cook. My uncles owned farms. All the stars aligned, and I was able to go to the university, University of Akron, and then Kent State for my master's degree in human nutrition and became a registered dietitian. I've worked over 40 years in this field and I've worked across the United States. I've lived many, many different places. And the common denominator is always we like to eat, we have to eat, and we want to do it safely. But it isn't always automatic, right? We really do have to respect the process of delivering food to our plates. And that all involves food safety. 
That's such a great point. And the stars obviously must have aligned because I have both of you on today. So <laughs> Susan, thank you for being here as well. You're welcome. Next, we will move into four questions that I like to ask in this particular topic area of food safety. And the first one is, tell us about the food safety issues from sanitation to hand washing that you see the most in your work. And we will start with Brittany for this. Oh boy, <laughs> where to start? Um, <laughs> you know, food safety, it's so personal. The way we handle food, it's personal. Our experience with food is personal. And so our behaviors are personal with food as well. So there's lots of things we see here. Um, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me or sticks out to me is around hand washing. So you would think with the onset of the pandemic, for example, with COVID, we all became very well aware of how to effectively do hand washing, you know, to minimize our risk of illness. Well, that hand washing procedure is still the same for when you're preparing your meal. It's the same for preventing many illnesses, actually. And the curious thing about it is that we're starting to see as a community that people aren't consistent in hand washing now, even after a big motivational event to do so. And so what is that that really motivates people's behavior? And we're, we're learning that, you know, hand washing by definition varies for some people. You know, for example, the USDA is conducting a multi-year observational study of how people handle food in the kitchen. And they've observed that people are attempting to hand wash, but they're not hand washing per the CDC guidelines. And so what is that breakdown is that big question that I think us in the food safety community are, are constantly trying to answer and weed out of, you know, how can we motivate that behavior? What would inspire people to, to change their behavior or to, to be more consistent in their behaviors even? And handwashing is just one of those interesting things, especially after this big global event that we went through. That's one thing that sticks out, I would say. Yes, that is so true. I was just food shopping the other day and I went into the bathroom before I left and I was in the bathroom and there was like people that walked in and out during the time I was there. And only one person out of like four people that came in and out of the bathroom, washed their hands. Mm -hmm. And as a dietitian, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you washing your hands? So when you say that, and I'm curious to hear what Susan says about this, because in food safety in the facilities that you go into assisted living in that population, how, like, what, what are your thoughts on this, Susan? Well, hand washing is really the crux of it all. And as Brittany was saying, it isn't even number one, we have to have our food service workers wash their hands and wash their hands frequently when they're changing tasks, if they go to the bathroom, obviously, but when, when they come back from a break, if they take the garbage out, I mean, they cough whenever they're washing their hands. And so number one, we have to reinforce that and have the individuals wash their hands. But number two, I observe even when I go into the kitchens, because I'll obviously look to see, are they washing their hands? They do not, for the most part, wash their hands for 20 seconds. And so then I start talking to them. I say, did you sing, you know, did you sing the happy birthday song twice in your head? Or then I tell them, or you can 
do this for 20 seconds. I try to um, give them techniques. If I'm in a religious facility, I tell them they can say certain prayers in their head if they don't want to, you know, whatever, whatever it is to get them to do the 20 seconds. The reality is if we throw some soap on our hands, rinse it off quickly, we're really, it's, it's fruitless. Mm -hmm. We really do have to aggressively rub our hands. We have to do that with moist, wet hands with enough soap for 20 seconds. Actually, the rinsing off of our hands is beyond the 20 seconds. We really should be rubbing our hands with soap and water for 20 seconds and then rinsing them. So it's reinforcing constantly with kitchen staff. Now, at the assisted living level, we have many other individuals that have come in on a temporary basis to work in all our healthcare facilities. So we might have long-term employees that have been trained correctly, but we get individuals that are just there for a week or two. And so that training has to be continuous. I mean, even something as simple as the manager saying at the beginning of the shift, okay, now I want to run through this with you and you're going to wash your hands you know, in these circumstances, and the manager runs through the technique every single day. Because the reinforcement, I believe, is going to help to have this be um, second nature, and it has to be second nature. Well, such a great point, like the reinforcement, having it become a habit, and I loved what you said about, you don't have to sing happy birthday, you can sing a prayer or something else that you just want to put on repeat that you're saying as long as it's for that time so great mm -hmm. suggestion there so hand washing seems to be the winner for 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 all of us here what would you say what are some common foodborne illness risk factors that you can share with other clinicians to help create more awareness and then a follow-up to that would be any best practices for prevention susan do you want to answer this one first Best practices for prevention. Well, obviously the washing the hands, but when I go into the facilities and when I teach my students and they ultimately are become interns and they're in healthcare facilities, I explain to them that you want to make sure that every employee has a thermometer, that that thermometer is working correctly. So, you know, is it, is it an instant read thermometer that has to be calibrated? And how often are they calibrating the thermometers? And then if it is a digital thermometer, is the digital thermometer, is the battery working correctly? And they shouldn't have to look around for a thermometer to figure out what the temperature is of whatever food they're temping they should have that thermometer at the ready and that thermometer needs to be clean so that we're not reinfecting any food that we're testing. 
and the food has to be tested frequently. So if I go in and they're not filling out their forms correctly, then they get dinged. And I make a big deal about it because we are never going to totally get rid of pathogens. You know, they're in the ground, they're in the air, whatever. We have to stop the bacteria, the viruses in their tracks. And we do that through washing our hands, making sure that we're aware of time and temperature parameters, and also making sure that the general cleanliness of the facility is to a high standard. Again, the training has to be there every single month training has to happen so that nothing runs through the cracks. I do want to say this one thing. We might have training. We might be doing everything correctly 364 days a year. We miss one day and we've opened up the facility to a risk of foodborne illness. If we have elderly residents in our assisted livings, our long-term care facilities, they're already at risk. They already are immune depleted or they're at risk for a lot of other diseases. We don't want to add foodborne illness on top of that. No, definitely not. When you were saying something about the facility, I just imagine like when they're putting their orders away and the thermometer is supposed to be at the front of the refrigerator. And then all of a sudden you go in the next time and it's like fallen to the back of the refrigerator and you can't find it. And they're like, oh, it keeps falling back there. Like I just imagine, and that would be good for Brittany's education materials, like a little, little legs on the thermometer as it's running away, going some, I don't know why that came in my, <laughs> my head, but Brittany, I want to hear <laughs> really great point, Susan, Brittany, I want to hear what your thoughts are about some common foodborne illnesses. And if we'll see the little thermometer with the legs on it in future patient <laughs> materials. Hey, we can take all the ideas we can get. You know, one of the tools to the to this point of reinforcement and habit that we've developed is called a safe recipe style guide. And it's based off of research, observational research that has shown that should you place food safety prompts within the steps of a recipe, people will follow it without really thinking much of it as a food safety step. It's just a step of the recipe. So we developed this guide to standardize some of the most critical points that you can control. Of course, there are so many <laughs> food safety steps you should follow when you're making your food at home. But the, the most important you know, are the hand washing, of course, and cleaning and sanitizing of surfaces, using your food thermometer to check for doneness, storing leftovers promptly and making sure you're keeping raw meat and seafood separate from your raw produce. So these are some of the steps highlighted and because they address some of the most riskiest points, I suppose, that could cause foodborne illness. And so this tool is out there. I just want to, you know, shameless plug on that. It's free to access. It's based in science. And we know that other RDs like to use it for developing recipes when talking with their clients. So please use that because it's there to create that habit. The intention is if we are to have a world where all recipes start with wash your hands and with soap and water before you start, can you imagine just that shared cultural norm around 
food safety that would develop in that habit and reinforcement. So it's one of the tools I'm most excited about and I think has real potential to impact behaviors. I will say that the tool, I've seen that tool, I've used it, and I think it's fantastic. And oh, just sharing it in the resources tab of this podcast, I think will be help get the word out there more. Yeah, great. Thank you. So thank you for sharing with us. I do think it like helps people because you're not, you're kind of on autopilot and you don't really think of these things and you just start doing it. But if it's written there, it makes you think, oh, do I, I didn't, I need to do this. Kind of like mm-hmm. with the raw cookie dough one. Like you, you need to do these steps. Yes, you do. Like you just kind of have to spell it out. Like you think it would be common sense, but it really isn't. You have to tell people. Well, and what I think is really a strength of the tool is that it's not telling people something they shouldn't do. I think we're all told what to do <laughs> in a variety of capacities of our life. You know, every day we're told not to do something. And so it's really a positive way to talk about food safety without it being something that you're already failing at. <laughs> yeah. So you're not saying don't wash your hands. You're saying wash your hands. Yeah. So wash your hands. Soap and water. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy. Don't worry about it. Then move on to step two, chop your produce. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you're reminding people, I think it's helpful and it mm-hmm. is done in a positive way. It's a good point. Mm-hmm. So Brittany, I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on the changes in our food supply impacting production today? And then do you have any suggestions for clinicians on how to navigate this area? This is a big question. And there's so much being done, so much technology being introduced and evolution in our our food production system. And I think Americans have a lot of trust in how their food is produced. And I think that's important. I think that plays into why it's hard for people to stick with some of those safe food handling behaviors at home because of that trust. But everybody does play a role. And like Susan mentioned earlier, it just takes that one event to really cause an illness. You might've been very lucky your whole life. And that is awesome, but it just takes that one time. And so there are many steps you can take. And I'm not an expert on that food production side of things, (laughs) but there is one thing that, you know, we've learned is that people do want to know the why behind their behavior, the guidance for their behavior. So for example, I would encourage clinicians to share more about that food production system. So, you know, we recommend, for example, we recommend that you rinse or scrub produce. Well, the reason behind that is because it's coming straight from the farm in most cases. And people don't always know that. Everybody has a different experience with food. Everybody has different levels of access to food. And so just not even assuming those basic elements of our food production system and sharing that with people when you're talking about safe food handling, I think is a great way to to start having that conversation. Now, some excellent points. And and as you were talking, I was thinking of, it's called safe food handling. But if you think about it, like the food that you have and that you see in the grocery stores have been handled. Think about like, how has it been handled? And this is why I need to wash it off. So it makes sense. But yeah, definitely the why behind everything. I mean, even my four-year-old needs to know why, like I asked her to do something. She's like, why? (laughs) Like it's starting already. (laughs) So keep the inquisitive, keep asking why and keep providing that knowledge and then just be diligent about why we're doing what we do. So thank you for that, Brittany. And how about you, Susan? I know that one of the courses you, you teach is around this or have taught in the past. So did you want to give any, anything you want to say about this area? Well, I will say that when my students will develop recipes, 
in some of the courses, food science and some of the courses that I've taught. And they get instructions early on that any recipe that they develop will have different areas that address food safety. And every recipe will start with wash your hands. So I'm teaching them, they will go out and, and hopefully they will follow through and wherever they are, wherever they land in their profession, they'll be developing recipes, doing consumer education, or they'll be in food service and they will realize that every recipe needs to start with washing your hands. So that's important. My facilities, they are struggling because they will order some food and then the supply chain will be broken and they will get something else altogether in place of that food. So what does that mean? They have to adapt, but they may have ordered frozen asparagus, for example, and they'll get fresh asparagus in. They have to know how to deal with any food that comes in in the manner of addressing food safety. So they have to know how to wash their produce, for example. And they realize that produce, as Brittany was saying, comes from the farm, may not have been, it might have been washed, but they need to address whatever food comes into their facility in a manner that promotes food safety. And that food may have been touched many times. And so you don't even know, it might not be, it might not be a pathogen that came in from the ground. It could be a pathogen from somebody that touched that food in a food facility when it was being processed. And you just never know where, where those pathogens are going to show up. So at the facility level, they need to take precautions to make sure that everything that comes out of their kitchen is safe for human consumption. Yeah, so it sounds like that is quite the food safety pathogen puzzle. That could be like another, I don't know, I'm looking at Brittany, like these, this is another potential reason that he has something like that. And the other thing I was thinking, Susan, when you were talking and providing that answer was they must keep dietitians really busy doing in-services about these topics. Oh, yes. <laughs> How could yes, you? yes, they do. And, and honestly, we want that to be at the forefront of everyone's thinking. COVID really added another level. As Brittany was saying, you would think that everyone would be washing their hands more through our pandemic. And that's the hope. But there's also a whole other level of cleanliness and sanitation that had to happen in our food service facilities for healthcare facilities that we had to address. And so many times individuals would have to eat in their room because they weren't allowed to be eating in congregate dining anymore. So then we have to make sure that their tray that they're putting their food on is also 
sanitized, areas of their room were sanitized. There was a lot of shifting of responsibilities within healthcare facilities to address the pandemic. And obviously, we needed to do that because we not only had to promote food safety, but we had to promote sanitation and safety so that we could try to stop the spread of COVID-19. Well, that, that leads me into my next question about what is on the horizon for consumer habits and our preferences that may impact food safety. So Susan, I'll have you answer that first since you were kind of touching on it a little bit. Okay, so before the pandemic, we knew that for the first time, I think it was 2017, but I'm not 100% sure, that the food dollars that a consumer would use for the first time, 50% of their food dollars were spent in consuming food outside of the home. 20, 30, 40 years ago, we consumed more of our food at home than we did outside. Now we're talking food dollars. So the food is more expensive if you're going to be purchasing it outside of the home, but about 50%. So half we were eating half in our home, half outside of our home. And now we are eating more at home than we are outside of the home. So we have to work with our consumers so that they're producing food at home in a correct manner. Dietitians can address this because they work with individuals in healthcare facilities. Those individuals are going to be going home from the hospital. They talk to their families. They talk to the individual themselves, talk to them about food safety. Even if they're giving a diabetic diet instruction, they can add a few sentences about food safety in whatever other education they're producing for for the patient. So we can do that. We're in food facilities, in hospitals, uh, long-term care, assisted living, all of those facilities, congregate dining, schools, So then dietitians that work in those areas can work with the institutional food service. But nonetheless, we are eating more at home now. So that education needs to shift to consumers. And dietitians are key because whenever they talk to anyone, they can reinforce the message. Reinforcing that message and eating and food safety go hand in hand. So anytime somebody's eating, which is in any of these settings, we need to really be reinforcing that food safety education. That's what I heard you say, which is a, I think a fantastic idea. And we should keep continuing to do these things. Brittany, what are your thoughts? What do you think in terms of what you do in your organization, what's on the horizon for consumer habits and preferences that may impact food safety? Susan hits it pretty hard on the head there. You know, people are eating more at home and their trends, you know, I think frozen food sales are up and expected to keep going. So people 
it seems like people are mixing too. They want easy prep with something fresh. So maybe it's pairing the frozen item with something fresh as well. So they're looking for quick and convenience. And I don't think our lives are going to get any slower. <laughs> Hopefully you all maybe have a magic ball and you can see into the future and things will slow down a little bit, but I don't think so. Things are going to speed up and people are going to want food quicker and quicker and easier solutions. So making sure that we're helping people just understand how to handle those foods properly. Susan's right. RDs have an important role to play here. There are so many opportunities to just talk about handling a food safely to good health and you have their trust, you know, whoever you're working with, they're coming to you. They see you as an expert. They trust what you're saying. So why not just share some of that food safety information? Because you can't realize the nutritional benefit of food if it's making you sick. And also if you're immune compromised as well, you know, there are so many other complications that can come from that. Beyond just the immediate trends, you know, we're asking some questions internally about how will people be sourcing food in the, in the next few years, three to five years? What are some of those handling habits that would change? You know, we're very curious about smart tech entering the kitchen, for example, the refrigerator that can tell you everything you need to know about your food in it. When those hit mass market, will that change how people handle food? Is it an opportunity to get safe food handling messages across? Another thing that we've been thinking about is Gen Z. The younger generation, they're digitally forward. They love food experiences. They're very savvy. And so how do we reach people as new generations enter the marketplace and start making decisions for themselves? How do we help them handle food safely in a way that resonates with their mindsets and how their values and, and how they handle food and experience food? So one thing we do know is the science isn't really that different. <laughs> it pretty much stays consistent around what reduces your risk of illness, but being prepared to change for that context change. I think is important and something for all of us to look forward to. And RDs certainly play a critical role in that. And I think as ambassadors of, of nutrition, you can also be ambassadors of food safety. I love that ambassadors of food safety or the trust source. So why not? Yeah. And the other thing that really resonated with what you were saying was the technology that's coming. I think that would be an excellent place for my refrigerator to tell me what I need to do. Like I take out the raw chicken and it says, okay, well, you first, you need to wash your hands and then you need to do this. But even though I know what to do, but some people don't. So I think that is hands down what I'm looking forward to. I think I'm going to sign myself up for one of those when they release <laughs> the market. So thank you yeah, for sharing great. that, Brittany. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I would love to hear a story from each of you showcasing your work. So we'll start with you, Susan. Do you want to share a, a food safety story per se? I was going to tell you a story about a Mexican restaurant that my husband, my daughter, and I ate in. And it was a food illness story. But suffice to say, when I start teaching quantity foods management or food science, I have an assignment where the student has to go online and anonymously recall a time in their life when they had foodborne illness. And they, I do it anonymously, so there's no stigma, but they all have to put a story online. And then 
they have to react or they have to go back online and react to one of their classmates' stories. I do that to reinforce the fact that every single person, I believe, has been ill through foodborne illness at least once in their life. And if they can remember how horrific the situation was, then they can be open to understanding that it doesn't have to be that way. That if they take some steps, they may not have become ill. Or if they became ill through their own home, but if they became ill through a restaurant's mishandling of food and food safety, then they can at least understand that they can have an impact when they work with institutional food service. The fact of the matter is we all get busy. And so as Brittany was saying, our consumers, they want food, but they want it fast. They want to eat and prepare food and eat within a half an hour. And sometimes we have to take the time to clean out our refrigerators, to wipe down our counters, and to do the work that will actually stop those pathogens in their tracks. So it isn't just cleaning the food, cooking the food to the right temperature. It really is taking the time to make sure that the environment is cleaned properly. And Brittany even said that she had read a story about a young man that had lost his life. I don't necessarily want to scare my students, but I want them to be aware that this can happen. Very severe illness can happen to anyone, including them or their patients or their families. What an amazing thought-provoking experience that you provide them by doing that exercise. They get into it. (laughs) Yes. Like there's other people posting and that seems kind of cool, like to read through other things and then they're anonymous. So you feel more, you're not like, oh, I'm going to put myself out there. That's, I I like the anonymity about like you're keeping that anonymous. So I think that's really helpful. Thank you for sharing that story. I enjoyed listening to it. And Brittany, how about you? A story that you want to showcase? Yeah, I think I'd like to share a story about, that's a perfect example of the type of people that we serve. So Partnership to Save the Education and Public Health Nonprofit, best known as the Fight Back Campaign. But we work really hard to provide resources free of charge to people like RDs, um, Cooperative Extension. Um, And one person in particular, her name's Wendy. Uh, She works in Virginia and she works in an oncology clinic. And so she's working with you know, really immune compromised patients, but she actually does nutrition education with patients and their families. And she attended one of our events and through there, she sent us a note saying something like, I can't believe I never thought to include food safety education in my efforts. And she shared that she was starting to, she'll continue that forward. And so now all of those patients and those patient family members, they're getting that food safety education resources. And it's stories like that that keep me going every day. (laughs) If I can just reach one person who can be an amplifier and spread the word about how to handle food safely, because to Susan's point, it is very serious. I think we all know that. I think we're all here and pay proper respect to the seriousness of of food poisoning. It's more than just a bad night 
in the bathroom, it can have some chronic health impacts. And I think people don't really understand that. And some of that research is new, but it is very serious. So that's maybe a little bit of an example of some of the work that we do. And just one of my favorite stories, because I love that she's working with not only the patients, but the patient's family members as well. And you highlighted, which I think is becoming the theme today. And Susan mentioned it earlier, and that is just, just one, it just takes one day. It just takes one person that you're impacting. So that really sounds like an excellent bottom line takeaway to me for the audience. But I do want to, when I ask you, Brittany, if you just had to, t- to give me one bottom line takeaway for our audience today, what would you say? What should they be aware of? I would just say, talk about food safety education. <laughs> and, and, you know, recipes are an easy way of doing that. It's a positive way. You're already talking about food with clients out there or in your community or, or however you, you talk about food all the time. So just incorporating even one step of advice on how to handle food safely would be my big takeaway for today. Thank you. That's a good one. And how about you, Susan? Repetition. We're only as good as our last meal or our last interaction. We have to continuously repeat, repeat, repeat. We can't let food safety fall through the cracks. We can't let food safety be an afterthought. It ha- we have to be proactive, not reactive. Proactive, not reactive, and eat and then repeat. And just keep repeating our messages. <laughs> Yes, I love it. (laughs) All right, now we're going to move to just two questions for our lightning round. And the first one is, what is your favorite summer memory? Brittany looks like she wants to say something first. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I'm actually thinking, what do I do in the summertime? (laughs) (laughs) You know, my favorite summer memories are really just around that sweet spot moment of the sun on your face wherever that might be with summer concert series, gardening, when you just get that moment to feel that warm glow without it being super harsh. That's, you know, one of my favorite things about summer and probably the memory that came to mind right away when you asked me that. I love that without, without, well, without being like a hundred degrees, it yeah. sounds like, yeah, it's yeah. like a good temperature. How about you, Susan, your favorite summer memory? Remembering my children running through the sprinklers. Oh, how cute. (laughs) You know, there's something magical about water. Mm -hmm. And there's something magical about children laughing and just running through sprinklers and enjoying themselves. Summer is just that, that time where laughter and happiness seems to just be present. Well, thank you for sharing. That's a, that's a good, I'd like to go run through a sprinkler right now. Yes. <laughs> how, hot it is. how about one last question? What is your favorite summer food? Susan, I'll have you answer this one first. Ice cold watermelon. Now I want some watermelon. How about you, Brittany? I'm actually growing some watermelon and I'm, I keep checking it every day to make sure. Are you ready yet? Um, <laughs> watermelon's up there, but I would say pizza pizza's definitely my favorite yes never met a slice of pizza I didn't like so I'm gonna agree with you there Brittany (laughs) well thank you both for being on our show today and sharing your insights with us we will share all the resources and we want to thank everyone for listening 
and please tune in again and share your comments and feedback on our site. Have a great day and enjoy a healthier lifestyle with Nutrition 4-in-1 in mind. Thank you. Thank you. For more nutrition content, visit consultant360.com. 